Welcome to Open Source Guelph. You're on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz. Adam, I'm glad that I didn't see in the uh, Pandora Papers there. That was, uh, that was good news. I guess you, I wasn't in them either, but... That you didn't see me? I didn't see you in there, yeah. No, that's because uh, I'm not stupid enough to hide my money offshore. You don't have I, life insurance out on your parents or whatever like no 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 what i did what i did was see i kept all my stuffed animals from childhood and as uh i need to (laughs) i just i just fill i just take the stuffing out and put cash in them so uh yeah it's like this uh rubber tote in the basement filled with like smurfs and stuff and uh yeah that's uh when i now the world knows so they know which tote to go for so when i so when i need to pay off politicians i just go to oh now now i've said too much (laughs) <laughs> well, it was interesting to see Elvis Stoiko's mullet uh, back in the news. That was that was pretty well. Mm, better than we could uh, do a whole hour on that. It'd be like uh, G Talk Nightly. Jeez, oh, I was gonna make a I was gonna make further Canadian figure skating jokes, but never mind. Yeah, open sources CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show. You can find us here every Thursday at five p.m. As we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world, and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be our newly re-elected Member of Parliament, Lloyd Longfield, who will talk about his priorities for the upcoming term, the role he wants to play in the new Liberal government, and the lessons he's learned from this past election. That's going to be in the bottom half of the show. For the first half, we're going to talk about the renewed calls to regulate Facebook after a whistleblower went on 60 Minutes to say that Facebook knows all the damage they're doing. So will anything change this time? But first, we got a speech from the throne this week. The Ontario legislature is open for business again after a federal election. Uh, circle that square. But uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's we've, we've let a lot of light into that. So let's talk about where we go from here. And it turns out... Um, we're not going to anywhere too terribly different. The speech from the throne said, essentially, everything's cool, uh, like we're handling it. And uh, yeah, steady as she goes. That was the that was the throne speech in a nutshell. Yeah, a couple of shots at uh, other provincial and federal governments. <laughs> what was that line about the we've had challenges because of the failure of successive governments, both provincial and federal? Mm-hmm. You mean like... Jason Kenny out in Alberta, or who do you mean? Anyway, yeah, so there was a couple of jabs like that. And also, yeah, look out, you long-term care home people, because we're, we're going to come for you, even though you're our friends and you fund us. Um, true story. Uh, yeah, there is, it was thin. Uh, what we, I'm saying it's thin, but it was Andrew Horvath's exact words. Was it, it was thin gruel. Yeah. Way to stir the Dickensian uh, pot there. <laughs> it's thin yeah. gruel. So yeah, most of the most of the comments about it were uh, probably more interesting than the speech itself. It was you know, it reminded me of when uh, you had to pad out the paper in school and you get the thesaurus <laughs> out, right? Compassion, generosity, grit, strength. You know, all that. Like, how many words can I find for like? And the Ontario spirit—that's a new phrase. I think they—I think they threw that in there. They want that to catch on, you know, because we have to embrace that Ontario spirit. Uh, like, well, yeah. what is you know? Could spend I hate a lot that of time stuff. Picking, yeah. yeah, picking apart what that is, but it's it obviously has that hint of electioneering, and it's they can't hide it. 
considering the new ad drop that's out this week, it's like, yeah, you know, we know where this is. We know where this is going, what the intent was, but they had to do it, right? Mm-hmm. So. Well, they have to rearrange the deck chairs, as it were, because, you know, there is, it's kind of like the last chance to try and stick a thing in the ground and, and uh, build something up before the election. I mean, by the time we get to January, it's going to be all we're going to talk about. It's going to be like, well, when is he going to drop the writ? When is, you know, who's running where? What do we got? What are the horse races? I mean, it's just, it's nothing's going to get done after Christmas, even though there's, you know, maybe four good months of potential legislating. But I mean, that's, that's all going to be reserved for electioneering. So, I mean, in terms of like pure policy, um, this is the last. And, and I mean, I, I read Steve Pakin's thing. Um, oh, yeah, that was wrote, good. It was mm. interesting because he's like, you know what? This was a normal throne speech. There wasn't people hooping and hollering, talking about getting revenge on the $6 million man and uh, all this stuff. So it's like, I guess from a basic level, if you want to say like, like Doug Ford's politics or uh, his style has changed in the last three years because of the pandemic you can certainly make that point on the other hand like what are the controversies this week rapid tests like parent groups across the province were using like this program to make rapid tests available to small businesses uh so that they could get rapid tests to test their kids going to school and the province put the kibosh on that and then the next day they come out and say hey, Dr. Moore's got this different idea that's going to do like rapid tests for some people and miniature Ontario flags for others, or I don't know. <laughs> um, and then, you know, and then there's the whole saga with Lindsay Perks, who, you know, she said she was going to get vaccinated, and then she didn't. She come back with a medical exemption. And, you know, Doug Ford, earlier this month at a press conference, said, look, he's going to make sure every person running into the PC banner in 20." 22 is vaccinated and then he gets up in queen's park today when the opposition points out it's like dude dr moore says like five out of one hundred thousand people have a legitimate medical exemption and you have two out of 60 something uh that that ain't right um and he's like well people are making their own personal decisions so he's like flirting with this like and maybe it's because I spent much of last Saturday amongst the vaccine hesitant that I, I kind of recognize the <laughs> the lingo when I hear it. But I mean, he's he's flirting with that um, with that sentiment, even while even after he comes out and says, like, no, no, if you want to run for the PC party in 22, you're going to have to be vaccinated. But he's still not, you know, not willing to like, say what you want about uh, what's his name? Rick, um, Rick Nichols. Is that my oh thoughts? yeah yeah um you know who who it's like i'm not getting vaccinated and i'm not putting that junk in my body it's like okay peace out bro uh you're <laughs> out of the caucus now um i mean say what you want about that at least that's like ideologically honest as opposed to lindsey perks who's like oh no i'm totally gonna get vaccinated psych i'm getting a medical exemption so i mean it's the the message is still so wishy-washy which yep. is is why i think the throne speech was underwhelming. It's all meant to be underwhelming. It, and I don't know if whether it's a plan like we're going to under promise and over deliver. <laughs> I mean, it'd be nice if that was the plan, but I'm just, I'm not sure that's the plan. No. And that's, you know, Pekin was right. The, that cockiness is mm-hmm. gone. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of that is in the wake of almost 10,000 people dead, mm-hmm. countless others ill with COVID 
long COVID, you name it. It's been a hell of a run since that. When was that? 20? Has it been that long? 2018? Have I got that right? Since the last Thrawn speech? Yeah. Yeah. That's a long, that's a long run. Yeah. They haven't like had like a, they haven't done a proroguing. Like sometimes they'll prorogue at the end of like a, a session like yeah. in June and then come back fresh in September. I mean, that has happened and that's, I mean, that's fine. Um, when, when governments do that, it, it just, yeah, this is the kind but, of the first time they've done that. Yeah. But this, this prorogue was different in that the, it, the logic was, well, we better wait until after the election, because I think it was uh, Mike Schreiner that pointed out actually that the government had said, well, you know, there's, there's things that will happen in the election that will steer the course. And mm-hmm. it turns out after this throne speech, that wasn't, exactly true <laughs> that there wasn't right. really anything that went down in the election a uh, good example has been pointed out in more than one place is, is the child care plan people were i think expecting something on that because mm-hmm. it was in the federal election the ten dollar plan and there was nothing also education there was nothing there was as i mentioned a little bit on long-term care but as i said well and so was climate sarcastically and- yeah housing the, affordability the, so yeah this it, it's more significant in what's missing rather than what is in it you know mm-hmm. it took there took less than half an hour to read right so there's not there's right. much going on thesaurus mm-hmm. uh notwithstanding right yeah. but yeah so it's <laughs> uh if, if they were looking for a reset they didn't really get it i mean it is the opposition and the other party's job to beat on them del duca saying oh it was, it was, we had such a long wait this time for so little He's, he's not wrong. It's, there's, it's, it's paper thin, right? There's no, yeah. there's no meat to this, but that, that's the, I guess the idea is like, okay, we have to do this. We'll just do this and then we'll bump it. And then we'll start talking about all the things that we want to talk about mm-hmm. uh, during the election. Although there was, the, there was that pretty clear on the economy saying, well, you know, we're not, you know, we're not going to raise taxes. And ho- hopefully the, you know, the powerhouse Ontario is going to, fill the whole what is it 32.4 billion dollar deficit and the conservatives hate deficits right so there's only two ways to get rid of them it's either higher taxes or or uh, cuts it was spectacularly underwhelming mm-hmm. <laughs> it just for you know considering the big broad reset it's like it's going to be a federal like federal election is going to be over so we got to reset and like really talk and I, like I, I don't know how this would have been different if there was a conservative government right now. I don't think it would be different. I, I, I just think that they don't have a lot of ideas. Uh, the ideas that they were, you know, moving on with before the pandemic, things like, you know, shrinking ambulance services and amalgamating public health units and undermining conser- conservation. I mean, they still done on some of that undermining conservation authorities. Oh, yeah. um, tax cuts, know, tax, tax cuts were in cuts, there, right? Yeah. You know, business development, just like none of that matters while there's a pandemic and they just, they don't want to go whole hog on it. And at the same time, and again, because I had talking to vaccine hesitant and COVID theorists and, and all that on at the park on Saturday, they were, you know, a lot of them are deeply disappointed in Doug Ford. And I'm like, well, you know, you you're disappointed at Doug Ford coming from one way, but there are millions of people in this province who are disappointed in Doug Ford coming from the other way. And it's just, you know, he has not, I'm not sure exactly who he's winning right now or who he's winning over, but it, it's, it's like, it's a tough crowd. Um, out there and it just there's there's no sign that 
I don't think that this speech moved anyone one way or the other, which you would hope coming out of a throne speech, like a, like a government reset like this, you would get some kind of bump, even if it's just kind of like a general kind of reflex, like people paying attention to provincial politics again. But I mean, I don't, I, it doesn't even feel like he got that much. Yeah. And, and, and enthusiasm is lagging every, like in general, I think sure. right? we know this, you feel it. It's you feel the, yeah, it's like, Oh God, this again, that again, there, there probably really isn't any way to harness, uh, any energy from something like this throwing speech is the best of times just kind of thrown out there. It's like, here you go. There's no, you know, you don't wait with bated breath. Well, we do, of course we do here at open sources, but <laughs> for most people, it doesn't really have an effect. And then this time it was, it was a bit of a fizzle. Um, even more, I would say even more than normal. <laughs> the, the, the litany of promises is gone. And as I said, I think they're, they're saving it for the election. I already saw a picture and I don't think it was from the conservatives of one of the ads. They're comparing Kathleen Wynn's back. She's back. It's like Del Duca is Kathleen Wynn, right-hand man. Like they're waiting for that stuff, right? <laughs> they're saving up. Mm. They're saving their energy to, to punt it towards that rather than bother with that, rather than bother with governing, right? <laughs> Well, at the same time, I mean, the NDP spent all summer running those like obnoxious Del Duca ads where he's just staring at staring at you for 30 seconds. And yeah, I'm, I'm not I, I'm not sure what kind of hit they got out of that either. But um, let's move on to Facebook, because like let's, speaking of political ads, um, speaking of taking a hit, <laughs> speaking of taking a hit, uh, Francis Haugen uh, is a name I think everyone is going to know. Uh, she worked as a product manager at Facebook and she has been all over the place the last week. She went on 60 minutes where she came out as a whistleblower, um, basically saying that Facebook is fully aware of all the damaging things it's doing and is prioritizing its profits over, I don't know, the sake of democracy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey Zuckerberg came out on Tuesday and said after she testified in front of Congress and said that, uh, oh, no, no, everything's cool at Facebook, yo. But except on Monday, Facebook and all of its apps were down for hours. Um, they seem to be unconnected. But I mean, uh, it just you couldn't have timed it better. It's one of those things. It's like just as like Facebook's getting beat on um, yeah. at, at one end, it's it. it it completely loses uh, footing on the other end um, with uh, this big blackout, multi-country, multi-hour blackout. It's um, kind of incredible. I saw one tweet that said, wow, 60 minutes has a lot of power. <laughs> 60, <laughs> 60 minutes shows with Francis Haugen, and then the next day uh, it's, it's, it's toast. Mm -hmm. And I love the reactions to that. Some of them were just, yeah, the, again, with the indifference for, for me personally, although we, we do things like share the show and a lot of stuff functions, a lot of you know, heavy mm -hmm. parts of the economy now function on Facebook and it was down and mm -hmm. economically um, Zuckerberg sounded like he took a personal hit of billions and the company itself was down, what, 50 billion like that in market value, just gone. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, it was, it was, I saw just a, a bit of the clip and I thought, and this is a bit of a Guelph aside, um, and I don't normally compare how people look at him, but Francis Haugen and uh, First Lady Rachel Guthrie. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> if you look closer, like, oh, is that because I follow her on Twitter? Like, is that? Oh, no, no, it's a totally different person. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, a bit of an aside. Um, 
it was just it caught me off guard. I'm like, oh, this is a totally different. See again, it's the pandemic. It's just making everything just sort of blend into one thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but seriously though, like some big points raised both in well initially with the 60 minutes interview, but in in Congress this past week by Hagen saying that you know Facebook is she's implying that the Facebook contributed to the January 6th Capitol invasion mm-hmm. to, um, you know, just uh, campaigns of misinformation during the uh, America U.S. election, even though they were promising that, oh, no, we've, we've got these devices that can throttle it or devices, the algorithm, we've, we've got it under control. We're going to throttle all that back. No. And she presented all this dump of evidence along the lines of, I don't know, Snowden or the, you know, yeah the pandora papers like here you go i have all this and then the interesting part with 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 facebook opening up on her well you know she had a bunch of meetings with c-listers and she was hardly there the usual right it's like we're just yeah we're gonna beat on this person to try and discredit her rather than although there was a little twinge of like you know it's been 25 years since we've looked at the internet and how it's regulated we need to do more of that Mm -hmm. in the meantime just keep printing the money and weirdly the weirdest appearance was uh, Nick Clegg, Sir Nick Clegg. There's like a long lost name. If people don't remember who that is, he was the uh, in the uh, Cameron minority government in the UK. Mm-hmm. He was the leader of the Liberal Democrats, and now he's a, he's a wheel at Facebook. Mm-hmm. What is? I I can't even remember his title, but I was like Nick Clegg making an appearance as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he was running defense, of course. Like there's so much that we do, but you know we can't be on top of things 100 percent of the time. I'm like, well, um, you might be able to with the resources that you have and the people that you have and it's just an, it's just an unacceptable answer it's just you know well we're, we can tr- we created this thing we can't con- you can't expect us to control and you know you automatically think about like a car company like what happens if there's like an, a, a defective electric battery in a car that like blows up and one out of every 100,000 cars blows up you know that company doesn't just say, oh, well, I mean, your car might blow up. Stuff happens. They have, like, there are recalls. There are, you know, civic actions. There's a system that mm-hmm. protects, theoretically speaking, it doesn't always work, but, theori- but you know, there is a system, theoretically sy- speaking, that protects people um, from intentional and unintentional acts uh, of a car. Otherwise, you can, ju- otherwise, any company, anytime, like the meat packing plant oh you got mad cow disease oh well um <laughs> oh you your your child choked on a lego brick and asphyxiated oh well uh you know you you uh you went to get a kleenex but it turned out to be a lysol wipe and you <laughs> you know yeah. you dissolved your nose oh well it just there are supposed you know you're supposed to take responsibility for your product and it just it's not even just the the election stuff either it's like day-to-day stuff like this statistic about um 13 of british teens and eight percent of american teens have suicidal thoughts because of their their um, participation in instagram that's that's remarkable i mean your product like one out of every 10 teens is being driven to suicide by using your product come on you're gonna sit there mark zuckerberg i mean also worth pointing out facebook started as like a ripoff of hot or not we all saw social network yeah (laughs) you're really gonna sit there and say 
Facebook has no responsibility for one in out of 10 teens using our product and thinking about killing themselves because of it. Come on. Come on, and man. That's, <laughs> yeah, those the comparisons you made too. And I saw one with the uh, talking about tobacco, the tobacco industry and what they mm-hmm. were they did or tried to do back in the day, which it, it doesn't work anymore. And th- I think this is the problem with something like Facebook is that you were you were calling it their product, which is true. Mm-hmm. But all those other products we're talking about are tangible things, cigarettes and cars, because there was there was a time right where the car was. That's how Ralph Nader, like unsafe at any speed, sure. right? The, yeah. ca- the car was crap and killing people. Uh, the difference with this is that it's like, it, I think it, it's tougher to get to the tangible root of it and say, no, this, this did actually, you know, this did for all the end. Uh, Haugen did say, like she, did, she wasn't completely against Facebook. She was saying, oh, isn't it nice? She made some sort of about sharing the photos of children and they won't get shared. I think it was to sure. do with the outage itself. So that, you yeah. know, for all the elements that are, that are good about it, but of course Zuckerberg chiming in saying, well, you know, we, we provide this service for free, but it's not really free. It's no, he doesn't do no, it. For it's free. like, it, yeah. it's one of those things. If it's free, you're the product. So we are the products, right? We are yeah. literally, we are literally the machine that makes this go. And yeah, those other things you mentioned, suicide, eating disorders, the level of radicalism. And I think we've seen it reflected in, I mean, even in our own election where the, and conspiracy theories and whatnot around vaccines and that it's like, it, it's, it is so there. I mean, they can't deny that it isn't there. We come across it just in, in general, just scrolling through the feed. It's like, what the, what is this? What, you know, it's not, I think they could very, you know, for the, they could probably, I don't know, very easily, but to keep a throttle on that, I mean, you really it's it it's surprising their tone is surprising it's like well you know we can't we can't we can't really look after everything 100 percent of the time i was like okay could you do 90 could you do 95 percent of the time it's not even it's not even that though i mean like first of all like ed pecker's guilt gives stuff out for free but he doesn't live in a mansion um good point <laughs> just saying um but then there was the interview with kara swisher uh, that she did with mark zuckerberg and she's like talking to him about like holocaust deniers on facebook and he's like well we can't really like take people off because they like misspeak and it's like dude like ernst Suntel wasn't misspeaking when he was like talking about the holocaust as like something that didn't happen he was like kevin in- j jailbird johnson uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you that's know, another story, I guess. But yeah. you know, they they're they're they don't speaking like they meant to say sixteen when they were really thinking twenty four. That's a misspeak. But when you per- participate in a campaign to deny that six million people were not killed systemically during World War II, um, that's not a misspeak. And he's either he's either fundamentally clueless about what. Things like freedom of expression mean free speech, misspeak, misinformation. He's fundamentally like confused about what all of that means, or he's per- taking part in a system where he's prioritizing his profits over, um, you know, the the effect that real efforts like Holocaust denial have. Mark Zuckerberg is not dumb. He went to Harvard. He didn't graduate from Harvard, but he went there. He is not a stupid man. He understands this. And the fact that they're going after this woman and trying to discredit her. And like Frances Haug, uh, or Frances Haugen, um, you know, she was a, a, an executive at Google 
Yelp and Pinterest. It's not like, you know, it's not like how Trump like would pick somebody up from like playing golf with them and go, okay, we had a really fun golf game. Now you're in charge of like the OMB or something. Like she has a resume. She has accomplishments. And indeed her boss, whose name is uh, Salmon Chakabari, um, like he released a statement defending her. like saying she's like, she was a solid employee. She was salt of the earth. She was, you know, she, she's not someone who's like making stuff up. And again, this is his response is to throw mud on her instead of taking a serious look at himself. And frankly, this monster he created. And if it wasn't for that whistleblower legislation, they probably wouldn't have heard anything about this. Exactly. Something yeah. that has come out of it though, seems that the Republicans and the Democrats in a rare moment of unity. <laughs> Bipartisanship. <laughs> Bipartisanship is, is back for a brief shining moment. It's like, back. Yeah, we, better, we gotta go after this guy. We gotta get this guy. This is terrible. And somebody was even crying, I think, right? In the oh because I think a lot of them I'm not trying to be ageist by any means, but that that Finsta thing where the guy was like confused about what it was. Are you gonna stop it? I mean um, it's it's he he was not Blumenthal did that. He and he's the yeah. chairman of this committee. He was not elegant about it, but I mean he is essentially correct. Like there's a big problem with like Finsta stuff, like teenagers having like an accept like it's like the the bookie who has like two sets of books. He has the red one, he shows the government and the blue one. He he you know, he gives to his goons to get the, the shakedowns. But yeah, it, it it he he was essentially he used the term correctly, and there is an issue with Finsta, but I mean I, I get what you're saying. They have certainly improved. I mean, if one thing all this stuff is doing is making some of these olds in, in Congress more tech savvy. So that's a plus. And I'm definitely lean more towards the olds than the youngins. That's for sure. <laughs> what are these kids doing with these devices? I don't know. Okay. They're being uh, okay. hateful and polarizing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we will leave that there before we really plow into ageism. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're going to take a break and then come right back with uh, our new MP, who is also our old MP, Lloyd Longfield. You're listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm there till closing time Dance and be merry It's only a dime Ten cents a dance that's what they pay me Gosh, how they weigh me down Ten cents a dance Pansies and rough guys Tough guys who tear my gown Seven to midnight I hear drums Loudly the saxophone blows Trumpets are breaking my eardrums Customers crush my toes. Sometimes I think. That was our Royal Cat Records pick of the week. Royal Cat Records 21 Mac Donnell in the downtown, the little big record shop. And I believe they might have that one in the back on 78. Possibly <laughs> one of the oldest songs we've ever played. 90 years ago, women were getting 10 cents a dance and going through a lot of crap to get that 10 cents a dance. And that just happens to be the amount that the minimum wage went up in Ontario this past week. Ten cents went a lot further in 1931, but uh, these yeah. days, good luck with that dime. Yeah, the other see. choice was, brother, can you spare a dime? But I was, you know, <laughs> I'm reaching back you. in the hit parade. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta do that every once in a while, right? 
remind people where we came from. Yeah, get out. Sense of dance. Get out the old wax cylinders and the basement that's the FRU and anyway. The basement that's known as the Hertz Bunker. There's at least one <laughs> rolling around here. I don't have anything to play it on, but I was going to build that machine. <laughs> All right. There's still time. Um, <laughs> speaking of time, Lloyd Longfield has a lot of time now because he's been reelected as the member of parliament for Guelph. And he did a sit down with us earlier this week to talk about his priorities um, largely many of the same priorities. He's also going to talk about some of the pushback about liberals uh, and their actions on the indigenous file and some of the criticisms he got during the campaign. And he's going to talk about, um, well, lots of interesting stuff. What, what, what he's going to be working on, what committees he wants to be on and uh, all that and more. So let's hit play on our interview with Mr. Lloyd Longfield. Well, Lloyd Longfield, uh, thank you so much for joining me once again. It's been a couple of weeks. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Anything happening? Or... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, things have been kind of low-key lately. Um, well, congratulations on uh, your third consecutive victory. Um, thank you. Not, an, not a, and you may agree, not an easily won race by any stretch of the imagination but um I, I guess what what came out of you know the election for you other than your victory i mean what lessons did did you learn what did you learn in terms of like community priorities like the kind of feedback you got what are you what are you taking away from the election other than your your seat in the commons <laughs> yeah a lot of what, what i was hearing prior to the election uh was amplified during the election things like uh, housing available housing for people uh, was a big issue that uh, I heard. And uh, that's going to be one of the one of the priorities that we have working on uh, right out of the gate. Um, also, I heard a little bit about Afghanistan at the beginning of the election that went quieter as the election moved on, but um, that's uh, something that I'm already working on with my office in terms of uh, getting our connections up and running with uh, immigration and refugees, immigration, refugees, and Citizenship Canada. And um, so departments are still forming themselves as well. And uh, so we're trying to find, you know, find the right doors in to get some of the answers that we have. And by the Afghanistan situation, you're of course uh, talking about bringing some uh, refugees into the community. And of course, Jim S still has mentioned he's going to be sponsoring 50 Afghan families. Um, is, is this a situation where, I mean, there was the whole back in 2015, 2016, when we were bringing in thousands of Syrian refugees, is that something where I guess you just have to kind of scale up that there's that, uh, that experience has already been something that's, that's happened. So it's just a matter of scaling up or is you have to build a whole new machine because it's a, it's a very different situation. No, I agree. good question. Um, we have learned a lot from the experience of bringing Syrian refugees to Canada as well as to Guelph. And so we do have, we do have uh, some capacity here. Not sure that it'll be the same. It probably won't be the same because mm. of the, uh, the way that the Syrian situation unfolded and, and how the, and the entire 
community pulled around it. Um, the Afghan situation is, is somewhat different that we don't have access to the airport and we have to work more with our regional partners. And uh, we also would have a different volunteer base probably. I think there were 800 volunteers that helped with the Syrian resettlement. Um, so that's part of what I'll be working on uh, is seeing where the interest is in the community. During the campaign, I visited the downtown mosque where a lot of Afghan uh, Muslims uh, worship and had a meeting with, with them, with the leadership of their group, as well as some of the interested people. And interesting to me, it was one of the people in the group was former Syrian refugee that just became a Canadian citizen. And now he wants to help with uh, refugees coming to Canada, which was very, very heartwarming, very cool to see that happening. Mm -hmm. And uh, so as as we're moving forward, uh, trying to get the connections going with IRCC, which will happen soon, uh, then we'll be looking at bringing together some of the community interested groups. There's several churches, some private individuals. You've mentioned Jim. Mm -hmm. I've spoken with Jim as well, and we've been comparing some notes. And, and then with the Afghan community themselves, which is really um, the priority area for me is to make sure that they're connected with the the right sponsorship uh, uh, organizations um, uh, that they could connect with, possibly Markham with the Islamic Society there, or maybe with Kitchener-Waterloo, where there's a refugee uh, group with some capacity. Mm -hmm. One of the things that came out of the campaign for me was, and, and I think you probably felt it too, there's a lot of anger, I think, about not moving fast enough to help Indigenous people across Canada. Uh, did you take that away as well? Um, yeah, there was anger over the residential schools and the discovery of bodies there. Um, it is part of the process. And the, a really tough part of the process is facing the truth of the situation and then mm -hmm. moving towards reconciliation. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that... Um, these things have to be done in the time that it takes to do them properly. So it's not a race to get all 94 um, calls to action covered as quickly as possible. I, I think it's more uh, uh, working with Indigenous communities to see just what it is that uh, we, can, we can work on together and how we can accomplish the, the goals of the calls to action. So you know, it's similar to boiled water advisories where, yes, it would have been great if they never existed. It would have been better if they were done all faster. Um, but the reality of the situation uh, doing the work through a pandemic is uh, schedules had to change. But um, still trying to stay on schedule with the schedules that we've determined with each project we have on the go. And uh, those schedules have been worked on together with Indigenous partners. So that was a long answer to say, yeah, there was anger, but it's, you have to do things properly, and including and foremost, having the, the, uh, the Indigenous people weigh in on, on what the appropriate way going forward is. Right. And I, I've heard you say that, and you, when we talked during the election, you made the point that there are um, a lot of direction on the 94 recommendations. If they are not complete, they are in the process. And I, I think where I can't speak for everybody's anger, but, you know, what we're essentially talking about, what it feels like we're talking about is we have people who are worried the government isn't moving fast enough. 
we have a government that's saying, well, we're moving, we're moving at the appropriate speed with the appropriate consultations, I guess. How do how do you as a member of the government sort of reach out to people to make sure they're they're feel they feel included in the process that they they see that transparency as we work towards truth and reconciliation so that they don't whereas if I guess if they're not hearing it about it on the news every day, they think the government's not taking action, which is a, a kind I mean, that's a common governmental issue on a myriad of issues. Ask Councillor Gibson about the East End grocery store. But, uh, you know, how, how do we like make sure people uh, feel fully engaged and informed on truth and reconciliation so that they know where the government is, even if they're not hearing it in the news every day? Well, I mean, what we try to do is put as much information as we have available uh, online so that you could see every every one of the 94 calls, uh, which ones are federal responsibility, which ones are joint responsibility, who's, who's got responsibility, what are the timelines. And um, my challenge, if, you know, my personal challenge is Guelph has 2,200 people that are identified as, as Indigenous. Mm. Um, without a common meeting ground, but also without a common background. So it would be like saying, on a far extreme, saying uh, all immigrants should be gathering in one immigration hall. Well, we could have a gathering space for Indigenous people and should be considering that. And that's something that I'm working on with some of the Indigenous representatives in Guelph. Um, But what form does that take? We have the Black Heritage Society using some space, uh, making space available. Um, other groups that make space available, but uh, generally for a fee, how do you, you know, I was at, at the, uh, at the uh, sacred fire ceremony and speaking to one of the Indigenous people saying, you know, we, sh- we shouldn't have to pay for the space, we should be able to have it available, which in, a, in an ideal world would be, would be a great way for us to do it. But how do we make that actually happen? Right. So just as we have many voices at the table across Canada, we have many voices at the table in Guelph. And, and uh, my job is to listen to the voices and see you know, what can we do together to, to achieve the goals of truth and reconciliation. I, I think one of the best things is people are talking. Mm. If people didn't care, they wouldn't be talking. And right. so it's really a matter of uh, respecting the wishes of the people that are directly involved. And uh, those that are advocating to make sure they're connected with, uh, with the right voices so that we can work together on the issues and not scream across tables at each other. <laughs> Speaking of working across tables, uh, you have experience in Guelph, you know, coordinating with uh, our Green Party member of provincial parliament. Uh, we have an, a neighbor in Kitchener Centre who is a member of the Green Party, is now uh, going to the House of Commons. Uh, have you given any thought to, or have you already reached out to Mike Morris and had any conversations with him, like lending your experience working across party lines that way? I uh, I spoke to to Mike Schreiner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just they have to be called. They both have to be Mikes, right? Just to make it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I spoke to Mike Schreiner this, uh, on the weekend, and um, uh, Mike has mentioned to the Mike elect federally uh, to reach out to me that. We get along well across party lines, and I haven't spoken with uh, with Mike from Kitchener yet, but I look forward to the conversation when it happens. Uh, we are in one region, and and um, I don't have the direct phone line that I, I have had with Raj Saini from the Liberal Party, but hopefully we will establish 
phone phone lines and trade trade uh, contact information so we can have those conversations. We're in kind of a weird position uh, here, where I mean, we have liberal representative and here in Guelph, liberal representatives in Waterloo, Cambridge, different parts of Kitchener. Uh, and then we, we ha- we're surrounded by these rural areas, which are represented by conservatives. Do you think that this election might uh, have washed away some of that partisanship or uh, like, like how, I, I guess, looking ahead to the next parliament, how, how much of that do you think is, is the, the, the election fallout is still going to be kind of a source of friction in the house? I'm hoping lessons have been learned that Canadians have told us to get back to work. And I'm hoping that we're going to have a better um, atmosphere in which to do the work that we have to do on behalf of Canadians. Um, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, <laughs> I would never have believed some of the stuff I've seen so far in terms of partisan politics, um, but it is there and it's a reality. Um, you know, sitting in committee watching the NDP and the Conservatives voting together as if they agree on things, which really they agree on um, uh, liberals not not having the say. And so it, it becomes counterproductive. Mm. Uh, so I hope we can find a way where we can all join hands and uh, work on behalf of Canadians um, because the partisan, the partisan politics results in what we've seen in the United States. If, if we need to have a cautionary tale, we just need to look at the events of January 6th. In, in, in Washington, and hope that we don't get that far down the road of uh, partisan bickering. Mm. How about reaching out uh, to provincial partners? Um, I mean, there there have been good results with the ten dollar a day childcare. I mean, um, uh, has having an election sort of so knows Fishers as well? Do you think? Uh, I've got a very good working relationship with Ted Arnett, um, and. Uh, I, I think you, know, you look for your, your friendships where you can find them. And, uh, um, you know, Mike, as you mentioned, Mike Schreiner and I get along quite well. So uh, I think uh, on an issue like childcare, early child de- development, um, we, need to, we need to see the priority is not only with the children, which is, of course, the most important, but then with the women that are primarily the caregivers that are not able to get into the workforce because of not having access to affordable childcare. And um, Mm. the economic benefit of a $30 billion over five-year investment would give us a lot more benefit uh, going forward than uh, what it costs to get things up and running. I think Mm. all parties are starting to see that that is reality. And we've got eight provinces and territories so far that have signed agreements. And I hope to see one from Ontario soon. Uh, maybe this is for my own curiosity, but I'm sure listeners are interested as well. Uh, has there been discussions about going back to an in-person House of Commons in some way, or are are you still going to be zooming it uh, when the let when the the House resumes? Well, there have been discussions. Um, there's been no decision yet, and uh, I'd like to know what I'm doing, <laughs> where I'm going. I don't see myself flying to Ottawa. I would probably, at this point, be driving or taking the train. Um, we want to make sure that uh, it's a safe space. Um, so there, 
That's part of the discussions. When Parliament dissolved, the agreement that we had to have virtual Parliament also dissolved, so we need a new agreement. Mm, interesting. And so I'm sure that's going on in the background. Um, I'm also waiting to hear about committee assignments and when I'll be sworn in. And so we're in an in-between period right now. Uh, I'm prepared to go to Ottawa if that's what uh, my job requires, and I'll make sure I do that. Um, if we go virtual, well, we've already been doing that, and that, that works quite well. But at some point, the numbers will tell us, the science will tell us that uh, it's time to get back together. And uh, every part of Canada is different. And right now, mm. meeting my colleagues from Alberta, Saskatchewan, and New Brunswick might not be high on my list of priorities. Um, you know, until their numbers are better under control. Of course, the testing will have to be put in place to make sure people coming to Ottawa are not coming with uh, COVID attached to them. You talked about uh, committee assignments. How, how are, how, I guess, what kind of role are you envisioning for yourself um, when the the House resumes? Like, what, what kind of committees, like, do you kind of got your eye on if like if you had your if you had your choice where would you like to to land <laughs> well the process i'll give you the scoop because i haven't okay. i haven't told this to the, the whips office yet because we don't have a whips office um, but hopefully we will soon i sent a note to the former whip saying whenever we have a whip please let me know who that person is so i can talk to them about things like committee assignments uh, what we do is very similar to applying to university courses or college courses What's your, your favorite, your next favorite, next favorite? And then depending on availability and your background versus other people's background, you get chosen. <clears throat> I really enjoyed working on the Environment Committee last time, drafting the uh, climate change accountability legislation. Now going through the implementation is going to be a, a very challenging job that uh, I'd love to be part of. And I think Guelph is, is well positioned as a community to really contribute to climate change discussions. And so I'd like to be part of that. Uh, so that would be my first choice. My second choice is industry. Looking at the transfer into clean technology jobs, uh, I came from manufacturing, I came from industry, and um, I, would, I did serve on the industry committee um, two parliaments back. And uh, we did some, some very interesting work and, and challenging work in, in uh, in industry back then, and there's more to come. So those are the, my top picks. I'm, I'm the vice chair of the Public Accounts Committee, which is the Auditor General's work of um, holding government to account, and that includes climate change targets. And so uh, that would be on my list of, of favorites as well. Mm-hmm. And I also served on the Agriculture Committee, and Guelph is very well positioned to help with agriculture. So you get four choices. They generally give you two. and um, and you could also get none of the above and get a different assignment. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so you heard it here first. <laughs> Good to know. Uh, looking ahead a bit, I've, I've been struggling with this question, and I'm sure you have too. I think people keep expecting that there's going to be a day where perhaps somebody like maybe Dr. Teresa Tam will come out and say, the pandemic is over. And we can all now resume normal lives as as we had on March 15th, 2020. I think we're coming to a realization that there's like not a net, like a best before date for the end of the pandemic. But I mean, how are you kind of envisioning like, I guess, like the end of the state of emergency, as it were? Like, how do we know that 
we we've crossed a threshold from like like the urgency we have now to something a bit more i guess relatively normal or new normal i guess you know i i guess what kind of factors are you thinking about yeah. <clears throat> i mean first first of all i i asked I, I will be asking that question of of wellington duffer and guelph public health uh, because that's where we get our directions the numbers that i watch carefully are the active cases in guelph we're down below 50 we were above 100 a few weeks back. So we're heading in the right direction there. If our case counts are not increasing, if they stabilize at a low enough number, um, and the numbers that are showing, the ones that are, are, are active cases are primarily people that haven't been vaccinated. And we're up to 92% that have had their first shots. Mm. Getting the children under 12, between, <clears throat> excuse me, between five and 12 vaccinated, will be another area that we, we have to watch for. I think of polio vaccine and how we're, the Rotary Club locally is working to end polio, and they're measuring that based on, on the numbers of people that have had access to the polio vaccine. That's one part of it, but then the results are, do you still have active cases in your community? And the third one for me would be the um, ICU load and whether our healthcare system is being overloaded as it is in Alberta. Mm. So that people can't get access to healthcare, and it's not just the people that are in ICU because of COVID, but other people that might be wanting to get into ICU or needing to get into ICU for other reasons, like cancer or or heart conditions or things that are emergencies that have to be worked on uh, from accidents and things like that. So, number of people in ICU, number of active cases, and vaccination rates uh, for children above five would start telling us what our new normal is going to start looking like. Mm -hmm. But we won't be resetting to zero as we <laughs> never can. Right. Um, and, uh, but we also have to look at how other, how other um, pandemics have been managed in the past, like polio right. in Canada, where it comes to a point where it's, it's present, but it's, it's managed well within our healthcare system. Right. I kind of, since we're kind of starting off a new parliamentary session, I want to put a kind of stake in the ground so that when we come around to the next election, whenever that is, we can say, this is what your term was like and what, what kind of goal you wanted to reach. So you're not recording. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little late for that. But, um, you know, when we get to the next, to the, the end of the 44th parliament and, and we look back, what is it that you want? to have done like what what is your stake in the ground like this is this is what lloyd longfield left from this term uh as, as sort of like a a long-term benefit whether that's to the guelph community or to, to canada as a whole i mean what, what what do you want to leave at the end of this term we'll answer that in two parts one is i do this every time i set myself a, a set of goals and i'm in the process of doing that right now um i give myself a mandate letter they're just similar to ministers. And, and then I give my mandate letter to the ministers who were also working as part of their responsibility on things that uh, are important for Guelph. Uh, last time, we really wanted to see the progress towards zero homeless people in Guelph. We're 50% of the way there in terms of chronic homelessness. By the end of 2023, we hope to be at zero. So if we're able to manage homelessness which has a lot of strings attached to it in terms of mental health, addictions, 
uh, trauma, employment. I think there's a there's a Guelph Arlington Poverty Elimination Task Force that's working on this and, and doing a really good job on it. And I would be looking towards supporting that. Um, having access to $10 a day daycare, or at least 50% of the cost of current daycare moving towards $10 by the end of the term. If the term's four years down the road, we're golden. Um, but if it's two years down the road, we might be partway there. And the other part for me is that we have managed the medical part of the pandemic and that um, we have the vaccines rolled out in Canada, in Guelph, as well as through COVAX that we're helping other countries where we have a large portfolio of vaccines that we've purchased and seeing that those are getting delivered into the right parts of the world, working through COVAX and the World Health Organization. So that's a, that's a big goal, but it's one that I think, you know, Guy and Guelph can contribute to. Well, I don't know, Lloyd, but like MP writes himself mandate letter might be the nerdiest thing I've ever heard in politics all these years, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, as soon as you write it, then you go, oh, I forgot about reconciliation. What about the 94 calls to action? What about boiled water advisors? They should be done by then. And I think that's the benefit of giving yourself a plan and doing it in writing. And my background is machine automation, machine design. I work from blueprints. I give myself a blueprint. And so maybe it's nerdy, but it's. <laughs> <All right. very> <laughs> well, if, if, if it works for you, uh, bless you and we'll see how it all turns out but lloyd longfield uh, thank you for all your time today and thank you for always covering politics and wealth and, and for all the work that you do for wealth fights to be in for. <laughs> thank you all righty that was once again our mp who is once again our mp lloyd longfield and uh I don't know. I feel like I want to file a freedom of information request to get those mandate letters that Lloyd writes to himself. I, I, I want those. I want those mandate letters. I want the letters now. <laughs> Give me the letters. <laughs> In 10 years from now, I'm looking forward to the book when they're finally released. <laughs> it's a adorable- long phone letters. <laughs> it's adorably nerdy. But uh, we'll have to leave that there. That is it for this week's show. And you can stay connected to us at our website at opensourcesguelph.com or on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire. And we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. If you'd like to listen to this show again, you can download it from our website every Monday. You can get it at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean, or you can get it through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, and Spotify. You can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can find my news and politics site at wealthpolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter, and for all things CFRU, check out cfru.ca. It is also a wealth, a trove of information on what's going on with the station and beyond. And beyond our time right now, stay tuned for DJ Sounds Good to Me here at the top of the hour on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We will, of course, see you next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another edition of Open Sources, and we will see you then.